If you're a visitor here and you're relatively or you're relatively new, you are very welcome. My name's Raj. I'm one of the elders here at Jubilee. Also, those of you who come week in, we always uh, welcome our visitors, but I want to welcome everybody this morning. If you are someone who comes week in, week out, uh, give, serve, love, pray, contribute, week in, week out, um, I just want to say thank you and you too are very welcome here. Thank you for being faithful and encouraging. Um, we've been going through Matthew's account of the joy news of Jesus. And it's been so provocative, hasn't it? I think it's been so challenging. Jesus is challenging. Jesus genuinely has come to transform our lives so that communities, workplaces, families, nations, minds are radically changed for the better. But what I've also noticed as I've read this gospel is that it can seem like a a kind of a slightly a random set of ideas and thoughts and speeches kind of all kind of put together uh, that sometimes seem like they have no connection to one another. Maybe that's just me, but maybe, but, but that's, that's how it kind of feels sometimes when I read Matthew. I don't think it's easy reading the Bible. Shouldn't say that, should you? I really don't think it's easy reading the Bible. You've got to work at it. You've got to dig for gold. Um, really, really good things rarely come without giving your all to it. Yeah? And the Bible, digging, mining the Bible is worth it. So before we go further, I want to take a step back. We're going to show a video in a minute. We're going to step back and watch this video giving us a feel for where we are at so far in the gospel of Matthew. What, what's Matthew's bigger idea? What's Jesus's bigger story as, um, from Matthew's eyes as he's unfolding this gospel to you? So roll film. Excellent. I hope that's helpful. That's kind of where we're at in the, coming to the end, actually, of uh, Matthew 12. Um, so if you've, got, if you've got a Bible, you might want to start, you might want to turn to Matthew 12, verses 38 to 50. Matthew 12, verses 38 to 50. I'm going to read it from the new, NIV comic Bible. The sign of Jonah. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation, and also condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon 
Isaiah. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mothers, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you, Jesus. He replied to him, he replied to him, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Wow. Another hodgepodge of, um, seemingly hodgepodge of um, different stories and thoughts. So here we have a bunch of religious people seemingly asking really politely for Jesus to show them a sign that shows who he really is, which sounds reasonable to me. But then Jesus freaks out with them and says, you've already got one, the sign of Jonah. Then we have a creepy story about a haunted house and then Jesus being rude to his mum. Maybe we pick, maybe Simon picked this sermon today because it's Mother's Day. Maybe that was, maybe that was the idea. What is going on? Well, context is important here, isn't it? This dialogue isn't a polite conversation at all, actually. Earlier on in chapter 12, after Jesus heals the man on the Sabbath with the shriveled hand, I think it was, if you remember, it says the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. And Jesus knew it, because it says, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Are you picturing it? These murderous, offended, doubting Pharisees ask Jesus for a sign. They are demanding, politely not, proof from Jesus about who he really says he is. Essentially, this is a story of how God's people, the church, the religious establishment of the day, are putting God in the witness stand and are demanding proof and signs about who he is. Now, clearly, they are asking Jesus for a sign to trip him up. They're trying to trap Jesus. They are offended by Jesus. But reading this, or when I read this, I thought that we, you and me, probably do this for all sorts of different reasons. Sometimes we do this if we're wrestling with doubt or tricky life circumstances. Um, And we want Jesus to come through for us exactly in the way we want him to come through. Sometimes we put God to the test in the midst of suffering and injustice that we see around. Moments when we have 
this kind of underground resistance to Jesus when we reserve the right not to be committed to him or worse, still fall away from faith because he doesn't do what we want. And although this sounds horrible and you might be thinking, gosh Raj, I would never do that. I think all of us have been in this headspace at some time or another. Most of us in our time of walking with Jesus have been, have thought things like this. But listen, Jesus is not a coffee vending machine that we pop coins in and out pops a frothy cappuccino. That is not the way Jesus works. Jesus is not a cardboard cutout God that we can fit into our life and live on unchanged. And the big question here, the big idea here is, what do you do when Jesus doesn't dance to your tune? Can you trust him when things are looking different to what you planned? Is that Jesus really, really enough for you? This is such an important passage for us because Jesus knows how slippery the slope is that slides down from difficulty and doubt to setting aside Jesus and sometimes leaving the church altogether. We cannot be complacent, Jubilee. Lots of people who I was close to from my original days as a Christian in this church either have left the church because of difficulty or left Christianity altogether. That's the truth. That's a humbling truth, actually, for me. These were good guys. We love them. So how does Jesus counsel us and equip us to respond to those times? Well, that's the point of the three stories, believe it or not. The sign of Jonah, the freaky haunted house, and the Mother's Day rude conversation. So here goes. Let's dig in. So first, the sign of Jonah. What's that? Well, the sign of Jonah really is resurrection life. Most of us probably got that. In the ancient story of God's prophet Jonah, if you remember, in the midst of his his disobedience to God, he ended up being thrown overboard in the midst of a storm and then gets swallowed up, remember, by that big fish for three days and three nights. And after three days and three nights in his deathly dark, in this deathly darkness, he is eventually vomited up by the great fish and emerges out of the water alive again. And the sign of Jonah, Jesus is saying, this is the great sign that helps us in times of doubt and offense. In fact, he's saying he is the great sign. Like and unlike Jonah, in the midst of everyone else's disobedience, Jesus will become obedient, even to death on the cross. He will be swallowed up as the solution to the storms of all of humanity's pride and sin and self-righteousness. And after three days and three nights in the deathly dark belly of hell, he will emerge victorious, alive again and bringing resurrection life to you and me. He is our sign. And actually, your water baptisms, my water baptism, reminds me of that. 
Jubilee. This is the mystery and wonder of Christianity, isn't it? We worship a sovereign, in control, all-powerful, mighty, suffering God. Car crash. When you are puzzled and disillusioned by what's going on in life, he is not. He feels your pain. He hurts for you. God really cares, Jubilee. This is what Don Carson writes. The God of whom the God on whom we rely knows what suffering is all about, not merely in the way that God knows everything, but by his own experience. He's been there. Another Bible teacher writes, On the cross, the supreme crime, the murder of the only righteous person ever, becomes the very operation that abolishes sin. The maneuver is utterly unprecedented. No more complete a victory could ever be imagined. He is risen, and we're going to be really shouting that out in a few weeks' time. He is risen, and therefore, in Christ Listen, so are you. Yeah. We don't need another sign. We have the ultimate sign, the sign of Jonah. Resurrection, life, hope, certainty forever and ever and ever and ever. Jubilee, do not fear. Do not fear. Secondly, the haunted house thing. What's that all about? When we are questioning God, when we have that underground resistance, as I said earlier, in the midst of difficulty or offense or hardship or doubt, how does this story actually help us? Well, firstly, this isn't a lecture on spooky houses, exorcism, and demon possession. It's not that, okay? This is actually a parable. It's a story that people will have been able to relate to and identify within their cultural understanding and stories of the day. So what does actually Jesus say? Well, basically he says if someone makes a commitment to him and is liberated from spiritual oppression or evil and the lies of this world, but then doesn't do anything else, in other words, their house remains empty, unoccupied, then he or she is vulnerable to that evil returning and making things a lot worse. That's the big idea. Maybe this story, maybe this story might help you um, get what Jesus is saying. I knew a really close friend who I'll call Devan, who over the years gradually became really addicted to alcohol. He would ring me at crazy times during the middle of the night, drunk and want to have deep, conversations, often wallowing in self-pity. He got himself into major debt. His relationships with his family got very tense as they were from a shame-honor culture, and this was just too embarrassing to deal with. He ended up sleeping around with people, including prostitutes. His life really was going down, downhill. And although he tried stopping alcohol, building up his willpower, as it were, mind over matter kind of thing, don't think of pink elephants, that kind of stuff, he couldn't crack his addiction. That tactic wasn't good enough. In fact, the more and more he went through this cycle of trying to sort it out himself, he got worse and worse. And actually, what ultimately got him through in the end, years later, 
was not just stopping drinking or cleaning up the house like in Jesus' story and then leaving it unoccupied for more difficulties to fill it. What he actually needed and what turned him around was starting a whole new life. New life goals, new support relationships, new sets of thinking. Let me put it differently. To say no to any destructive behavior or doubting mindset, you have to say yes to something new, not just leave the house empty. That's what Jesus' parable is all about here. The sign of Jonah is where this newness all starts. Resurrection life. You're a new creation, but it continues in a life lived out for Jesus all the time. A life of walking with the Spirit of Christ. A life of meditating on the Bible. A life of prayer and intimacy with God. Slowing down for him. Serving in his kingdom plans of worship and celebration and thankfulness. A life of generosity and stewardship and fellowship and simplicity. You might wonder what is all this Christian tradition about. It's about getting us through and filling the house so that we can follow him faithfully. Faithfully. Our spiritual habits are the God-given tools to fill the house with all, with all the goodness of God. Not just a new list of do-its and busyness, but a joy, a privileged jubilee, an honor, moments of grace to us. Are you nurturing them? That's the question. Are you diligently nurturing them? Because when doubt sets in, these are our protection, our shield. Our new life looks like this now. God changes us and protects us and fortifies us through them. I will not leave you as orphans, says Jesus. I will come to you, promises Jesus. The sign of Jonah, resurrection life. The parable about nurturing Oh, they look good. Um, I've lost my place now. The parable of nurturing our God-given spiritual habits. Don't eat cake. Um, Finally, Jesus is rude to his mum. Happy Mother's Day. What is all that about? Well, once again, it's an answer to the problem of doubt and backsliding and offence and falling from grace. When Jesus isn't dancing to the tune we want him to dance to, knowing you have a God-given family much bigger than what you think it is, is a rock in the midst of a sandstorm. This isn't about Jesus having a paddy with his blood relatives, but rather about the glorious fact that Jesus is creating a new, bigger household, a bigger clan, a more inclusive, intimate, vulnerable family who will sit with him and listen to what he says. Men, women, and children of every tribe and every tongue and language and background who want to be his disciples of the real Jesus, loving God and loving each other. Not just a superficial going through the motions religion, but True faithfulness in action together across difference. This is how we see the manifold, as it says in Ephesians 3, the manifold, the complicated, many-sided wisdom of God in all its infinite variety and innumerable aspects. That's the amplified version. 
Yeah. A few days ago, some of us went to uh, Leslie's funeral. As many of you know, she was a trans lady. She died on Stockton High Street of a heart attack while walking with her trans friend, Billy. Her life so far when it came to the church was one of rejection and hurt. Her sister told me that she was a, a lay preacher back in the day. And many of you, that might, that might make sense in terms of what she actually said out occasionally. She told me how Leslie, before coming out, fought in the war as well. Her sister told me that she loved being kind to people. She loved to engage everyone in conversation with the hope of friendship. Leslie loved Jesus. She wasn't perfect. She hadn't got it all together, just like me. In fact, there was an underground pathos and sadness about her when I used to talk to her. She would clearly had a tough life which I never really got to the bottom of. And just like me, she didn't have all the answers. Before she first walked into the church on our Christmas celebration, I think she phoned Simon and asked him, will I be welcome here? That was her question. The more I've reflected on that question, the more painful the reality became. How is the church of God perceived by those whose society have marginalized and oppressed. You see, Jesus was remarkable when we see him deeply. Watching him, he was very, very, very big on truth and righteousness, wasn't he? He was. We have just gone through the Sermon on the Mount for a few weeks, a few weeks ago. It was challenging. Jesus is not liberal at all. Jesus knows what's best for us. He made us after all. He knows the truth. We know that. Yet how his love for righteousness and truth played out in the lives of people around him is a bigger challenge to us all, I think. Despite his high, high bar for truth and integrity, the very people who often broke all those rules flocked to him in droves. Wouldn't it be great if it was like that with the church? I don't know if you've noticed that about Jesus. He loved them. He accepted them. The prostitute, the woman caught in adultery, the leper, the blind, the lame, the women, the children, the extortionist tax collector, he befriended them. He had compassion for them. His concern for them often offended the do-gooders and the religious people around him. He was patient. He persevered in relationship. I believe Leslie was sent to us by God for this very short time to help change us. To see truth and righteousness like Jesus did, but also to love people like Jesus did. To experience what God is really like, all of him. To see that God is really doing a new thing. We might have wanted to change Leslie, but through Leslie, God was changing us, certainly me. No matter how painful or embarrassing it might have been. What kind of church is Jesus building here, Jubilee? 
What kind of bricks is he shaping and laying down in his new city? This was the Church of England's Live Lent reflection from Friday, commenting on actually John's account of how the Pharisees encounter the woman caught in adultery and how Jesus intervenes. This is how it reads. It it is easy to reduce justice to rules and principles and forget real, complicated people with their history and relationships. But if real people disappear, justice does too. If we turn people into caricatures, fail to understand their journey and how others have shaped their choices, justice fails. Here, Pharisees shame a woman caught in adultery and quote the rules at her. It isn't that rules don't matter. Jesus makes that clear when he tells her to sin no more. But he sees a whole person brought alone for a crime that only he committed, that only keep, that, that can only be committed jointly. His response forces the Pharisees and the church of the day to see themselves as equal to the woman, sinners needing grace. The woman is humanized by being treated with grace and by being held responsible for her life going forward. The Pharisees are humanized too, no longer faceless, perfect judges, but fellow fallible humans. This is the line. True justice is a meeting of persons. Now, I know for some of you, this might ruffle a few feathers because it's been a, you know, we've had conversations, haven't we? I hear that and I love you too in all of this. I really do. But as we become more and more diverse, as we become more and more multicolored, as we welcome more and more people through Sundays, through our Sunday services, through our social justice projects, through Alpha, God is taking us out of our comfort zones, Jubilee. He is putting his gospel to the test and through putting his gospel to the test in and through us. He is refining through fire. He is refining us through fire to pull out pure gold. That's always painful and difficult. Jesus knows that. We need to lean on him. I believe through all this, God is saying, see, I am doing a new thing. At Leslie's funeral, we sang with Alice brilliantly leading, beautifully leading us in the song Amazing Grace. And she sang out Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, who saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Jesus is opening our eyes to a whole new season of welcoming grace, repentance, and faith. Not just shirking truth, not shirking truth and righteousness, but loving others even more through it. As we sang this morning, holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder, Jesus, and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. We're going to pray and we're going to worship this amazing, amazing God and King. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are part of your church, that you are calling us to lean on you, to be rocks 
in the midst of a sandstorm. And we pray, Spirit of God, more and more, we can declare that in the places and the people you have set us around. We pray, Holy Spirit, that we are not like the righteous Pharisees, but we are like you, high on truth and righteousness, higher on love and grace. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will change us, that you will open our hearts, that we will see that you are doing a new thing in Jubilee and all of our churches around in this nation and in the nations. Come and equip us. Come and show us. Come and prod us more and more in Jesus' name. Amen.